0: hopefully I'm unmuted and you can hear me. Uh, I work in Adelaide with a stellar bunch of godly and gifted pastors and as we headed into 2020 we're making lots of plans uh, about how we would do ministry. Uh, We have a deep desire to see people wonder Christ and so there were three churches in particular that were hoping to get organised and to launch. And then suddenly coronavirus hits uh, and we're in a strange, topsy-turvy world. The whole world is like that, we're all upside down, but particularly when it comes to ministry, all our guys were feeling exactly the same way. And one of my senior pastors was on holidays when his church shut down. So he, he came back from holidays and he said to me, when I left, I had a church, and when I got back, it wasn't there. And suddenly we, I found that we had this really high capacity team who were ext- extremely stressed. Uh, they're all adapting to new skills, uh, suddenly they're producers of online material. Uh, they're exhausted by endless Zoom calls. Uh, they were really busy, but weren't sure if they were being effective. Uh, they were missing people. Uh, I spoke to another staff member maybe two weeks into the lockdown, and he, he said to me that he'd been feeling really agitated and angry. And uh, now it was Christian anger, he, that is, he'd, he'd internalised it. It was short and impatient rather than outrageous sort of anger. Uh, but it was spilling over. He felt like he was splashing his wife and his children uh, the whole time. He said he felt frustrated, uncertain about where we were going and how things were going to unfold. And as we talked, it became clear that there was that sense of uh, loss of control that was really feeding it, and the uncertainty about where it would all end. For just a few minutes, what I want to do is look at a section of Philippians chapter one. And what we see here is the Apostle Paul, and he's in the middle of, uh, humanly speaking, a really complex situation that's frustrating and stressful. Uh, he lacked the ability to control what was happening to him, and he didn't. He didn't know where his life was heading. He was totally uncertain. And yet what we see as we read this section of Philippians one is that Paul has some anchor points that mean he's settled. He's focused even in the eye of a human storm. So let me read from Philippians chapter one and then uh, reflect on it with you for a few moments. So I'm going to read from uh, verse 12 of chapter one through to verse 26. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I'll in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Paul says, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and what's happened to him? Well, uh, he's in a Roman prison. He might have been there for up to five years. Uh, he suffered deprivation, at least of liberty, but probably in all sorts of ways. And he has real uncertainty about his future, certainly his future ministry. And there's a, uh, a good basis for frustration and anxiety. Uh, he has a lot of block goals here, I would have thought. And yet that doesn't seem to be the way he feels about it. And the reason for that is because he sees everything through this this gospel lens. Everything is sifted and shaped by gospel truth. And you see some of the big ideas that he's uh, looking at and thinking through that shape his, his way of perspective. Verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ Christ and to die is gain or verse 20 uh, he says his goal is that Christ will be exalted in his body or verse 18 he says the important thing is that Christ is preached now they are all such such lofty and big statements and they almost almost seem, I think a bit unreal or impractical or even over spiritual. But what we see in these few verses are these big ideas being practically applied in the grind and the crunch of day to day living. I just want to look at a couple of those uh, with you. Firstly, you see the way in which he is thinking about how to magnify Christ when he's facing personal hardship. Uh, And verse 13, he says, I'm in chains. Now, I think it would have been so easy for him to be really grumpy about the religious leaders who'd set him up so that he's in prison. Or he could have been really frustrated uh, by the Roman legal system uh, that meant he'd been sitting in prison for a prolonged period, not not receiving speedy justice. Or he could have been spending all his time thinking about the sort of ministry he'd engage in when he finally got out of prison. But I want you to notice back in verse 13, he says, I'm in chains for Christ. That is, God is sovereign. His mission hasn't changed depending on his circumstances. His goal is to magnify or exalt the Lord Jesus, big Jesus, little Paul, he's in prison For that purpose. So in verse 13 he says it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and it's uh, estimated they could have been up to 9,000 people and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Uh, When the coronavirus hit uh, for the first couple of weeks everyone was all all around the place all topsy-turvy and uh, I found myself every day feeling like I was making maybe 10 really important decisions and then to uh, wake up the following morning discover they were all totally redundant uh, and it was a it was a weight of trying to make good decisions without knowing if they'd have any effect but you know it's not my church it's Jesus Church and the only thing I needed to bear in mind was that I needed to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we, we do need to be thinking that we're in this corona virus time for Christ. Um, I've seen the people around Trinity uh, who have been just thinking in a sharp way along those lines, they've been thinking how do they invite friends online so that they, they might hear the gospel uh, We've seen, Sue and I have seen our connection with neighbours increase over this time in a way that we've never had before. Uh, The other day, we were out out taking a walk and we ran into a guy and his father-in-law that we we hadn't seen for years. And he, in the street, uh, nowhere near where he lives, we ran into him and he was telling us about his wife who had cancer. And uh, she was going in for treatment the following day and they're in the street. Uh, We stopped, we talked about the gospel, and we prayed with him and his father-in-law. We normally don't get those sort of opportunities. It's a time for serving Christ. My barista has been asking me about my church and what we're doing. He normally doesn't ask those sort of questions. Paul says in verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and all the more confident to pro- proclaim the gospel without fear. And that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people more clear, more confident about the gospel here, sharper about the fact that God has placed him them in their neighbourhoods, their families, their workplaces uh, to magnify Jesus. They're not thinking about block goals. They're thinking about this moment being one where Jesus is glorified. As you go through this section, you even see the way Paul's perspective is transformed when he's attacked by fellow believers. You pick that up in verses 15 to 18. Uh, Verse 15, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Uh, verse 17, they preach Christ at a selfish ambition. It comes up again in chapter two, Uh, not sincerely, but supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Uh, Now, they're not preaching a false gospel, or Paul would have called them to account for that, uh, but they are badly motivated, they're selfish ambition. Uh, They're trying to promote themselves at Paul's expense. I, I think one of the most difficult things in Christian ministry is when brothers and sisters, those who are close, and in fact the closer they are the harder it is, when they actually attack you, It's those situations that I've found over the years I've lost sleep or felt angry or frustrated uh, or if I'm honest just a bit sorry for myself and I think it's all natural. Yet when you go to verse 18 look at what Paul says. Well what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true Christ is preached and because of that I rejoice. You see, at this point, Paul just towers above the petty jealousy and the party politics. He says, it's not about me or my feelings. It's not about my reputation. It's not about my ministry. It's a phrase that I think I hear way too often right now. But it's about magnifying Christ, the gospel being proclaimed. And if that happens, then Paul rejoice. And you even see the way in which the gospel anchors paul's mind and heart even when his life hangs by a thread he's in a prison at caesar's uh, discretion at a whim he could be executed then in verse 19 he says i know that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of jesus christ that's what what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance Uh, now the The deliverance word here, it has its origins uh, back in the Psalms or the Book of Job, and the idea is not so much freedom from prison as ultimate salvation. His life, it, it hangs in the balance. But he's still just powerfully shaped by the gospel promises. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul obviously expects you will go on living. He talks about that in verse 24. Necessary for you that I remain in the body and so convinced of this. I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, that's such a contrast with our coronavirus world. Death terrifies people and, and I get it. If this life is the only life you have, and the goal is to find as much happiness as possible before we die, then anything that interferes with it, it needs to be avoided at all costs. But believers are shaped by a different worldview. For me to live is Christ and to die it is gain. Peter Adam, I, I think, is one of Australia's leading Christian elder statesman he recently wrote this about Philippians 1 a few years ago I read Philippians 1 and I realized how far I was from the Apostle Paul when he wrote for me to live is Christ and to die is gain I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far Peter then went on and said this I thought of death in terms of loss not gain And this just showed how attached I was to the world and how I loved God's gift more than God, the giver. So I began to meditate on Paul's words and pray every day that God would transform me. It's the gospel that gives us secure and clear purpose, even in the face of death. When life is moving in a linear and predictable direction Uh, I think it doesn't seem hard to trust God but when life is out of control when it's full of uncertainty when all your goals are blocked when your plans that they're collapsing when you're being attacked or brought down by Christians that you love uh, when people you trust they disappoint you it is so easy I think to make it about us ourselves our family our ministry But friends, Paul the Apostle, he in this context is in such a contested and frustrating and uncertain situation. But he is also clear and certain. He knows he serves the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, and his focus is sharp and unchanged, no matter what storms are raging around him. He prays. His purpose is that Christ will be exalted or magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. Friends, let me let me just pray, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, we see here in the apostle, one who has trusted your promises, uh, that his purposes are clear, that he longs to magnify the Lord Jesus, in his whole life and that is the lens through which he sees everything father we pray that you'll help us to uh, do that right now in the midst of a world that's really teetering and seesawing and turned upside down but father we pray actually you'll help us to do that always and that you'll sharpen that desire in us more and more as we press forward in your service and we pray all these things in jesus name amen